0: Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Wednesday, December 16th. I'm Erica Pandey, filling in for Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. What's standing in the way of COVID-herd immunity? Plus, how virtual reality could help fight racism? First, though, today's one big thing. We pull back the curtain on Joe Biden's latest cabinet picks. This week, we're hearing about even more cabinet nominations for the Biden administration. Notably, yesterday, we heard former South Bend mayor and 2020 presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg was nominated for transportation secretary, and he would be the first openly gay cabinet member if confirmed. Axios political reporter Hans Nichols joins me now, and he has a scoop on another pick for the cabinet. Good morning, Hans. Good morning. So let's get right to it. What's the scoop?
1: Well, which one? I mean, there's been so many moving parts in the last 24 hours. The cabinet has been a puzzle. And Pete was part of that puzzle. They finally found a spot for him. And now they're casting about for even more diversity. So I think what you're referring to is Michael Regan to be the EPA administrator. We're really close to saying that's a totally done final deal, but we're just not quite there yet.
0: And Hans, another thread you've been reporting on is a possible Republican in the cabinet.
1: Yeah, they are absolutely looking at bringing a Republican into the cabinet, probably at Commerce. There's some pros and cons here. The pros is you kind of get a reach out to Republicans, send them an olive branch, let them know that you understand their concerns. The cons are, who is this person going to be? I mean, if it's a Meg Whitman type Republican, a never Trump Republican, that doesn't really get you much with Trump's base.
0: So what are we expecting for the rest of the week?
1: There may be a big announcement of the entire environmental team. And so that could also be the energy secretary is going to be former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm comes from an auto state. Autos are going to be so important. Electric vehicles to the president elects energy and green agenda. So you'll have Granholm. But the big ones that are still left, I think that everyone's talking about is the attorney general. And that has so many implications to the Biden presidency, in part because of this investigation that we learned about into Hunter Biden. We're pretty much getting there. The ones that I'm really sort of thinking about the most, though, are are Commerce and then, above all, Department of Justice. How they solve that one is going to be really interesting and consequential.
0: Hans Nichols is a political reporter for Axios. Thanks, Hans. Thanks for having me. We'll be back in 15 seconds with The Road to Herd Immunity. Welcome back to Axios Today. The race to get Americans vaccinated against the coronavirus kicked into high gear this week. The first shipments of the Pfizer vaccine went out on Sunday. And then on Tuesday, the FDA confirmed that Moderna's vaccine was safe and effective against the virus in adults. That could clear the way for emergency authorization of a second vaccine in the US as early as this week. But if we want to get back to normal, we'll need to reach herd immunity. And Dr. Anthony Fauci says that that means close to 85% of Americans will need to be vaccinated. There are still many hurdles to jump before we get there. Sam Baker is Axios' healthcare editor. So Sam, the first hurdle I want to talk about is these so-called vaccine deserts. What are those?
2: Yeah, we are still dealing with this sort of fundamental problem where in rural areas, you don't have a lot of hospitals. In some communities, you don't have a hospital at all. The closest pharmacy, if the pharmacy is equipped to handle this vaccine, might be a pretty far drive away. The more spread out it is, all the things that already sort of create urban rural divides will also create an urban rural divide in vaccination.
0: So the next hurdle is that even after we get that vaccine to people, a significant share of Americans say they don't even want to take it. We've seen healthcare and government officials come out and speak in support of the vaccine. Has that been effective at changing minds?
2: It's too early to tell. It's not necessarily that a ton of Americans are dug in and say, I'll never take a vaccine. There are some people who say that. But there are more people who say, this seems like it's moved pretty fast. Is it safe? I want to know it really works. Those are questions that can be answered. As you see more people get the vaccine, and as that gives us more information, we will start to see, hopefully, the vaccines will earn their trust.
0: And then another hurdle is that the country's top health experts have been telling us that people need to keep wearing masks even once they've been vaccinated. Is that realistic?
2: The need is realistic. (laughs) One thing we don't know for sure about these vaccines is whether they stop you from getting sick or actually block the transmission of the virus. And for you as a person walking down the street, maybe that seems like, who cares, right? Either way, I don't get sick. But that means, that even though you've been vaccinated, there could still be a risk that you would infect someone else who hasn't been vaccinated, who still could get very sick.
0: All right. So, Sam, I want to end with your quick take on the stakes here. Can we beat this virus without reaching herd immunity?
2: When we talk about herd immunity, like what that means is that enough people have been vaccinated or have some form of immunity. The virus kind of doesn't have anywhere to go. So can we never speak the word COVID-19 again without getting a herd immunity, which I think is where we'd all like to get to? No, we have to get to that point. To really put this in the rearview mirror, we need the overwhelming majority of Americans to be able to take it and want to take it.
0: Sam Baker leads healthcare coverage at Axios. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Erica. The pandemic has been an accelerant for all different kinds of tech, and VR is just one of them. It makes a lot of sense. It's a piece of technology that lets you go anywhere from the comfort of your own home, which is where many of us are stuck right now. Just one staggering stat to put this all in perspective. Corporate VR use is projected to grow from an $826 million market in 2018 to a $4.26 billion market by 2023, according to Artillery Intelligence. And as the VR space is growing, we're seeing more and more interesting uses of the technology. Russell Contreras is Axios' race and justice reporter, and he's been covering how museums are using this technology to have people experience history and develop a better awareness of real-life racism. So, Russell, a lot of these events we've read about in history textbooks and we've even seen in black-and-white photographs at museums, what is the VR experience adding in our education?
3: Well, Erica, it's very interesting. Right now, the tools that are being developed in universities and some labs try to take you exactly to the places where civil rights leaders walked, where they protested. When you put on these headsets and you're transported, say, like to the 1968 sanitation worker strike,
1: is the heart of racism
3: is the idea that you get the feeling that you're actually there and you see marchers peacefully strolling down the street. But what's jarring was when I put these headsets on, not only do I see the marchers, but in the distance, I start seeing a rolling tank patrolling these marchers. And you start to you start thinking about, okay, what is actually going on here? No words in any history book can recreate that feeling.
0: What are the organizers hoping people take away after they take the headset off?
3: Well, I asked one person, a a guy by the name of Derek Hamm. He was the creator of the I Am A Man VR experience. And I asked him, what what do you hope people get? And, And he said, maybe, just maybe, you'll change your own perspective on how people experience life as a black person. Maybe you'll start to think about what life was like under a Japanese internment camp. One of the cool things about VR is when you put these headsets on, it's exciting. It's exhilarating. But then you take them off. So these tools have their limitations. They offer promise, but it's not an excuse for the work we have to do.
0: Russell Contreras is Axios' race and justice reporter. Thanks, Russell. Thank you, Erica. That's all we've got for you today. You can reach out to our team at podcasts at axios.com or reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Erica underscore Pandy. If you want more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast, Axios Recap. Thanks for listening. In the Axios Today spirit, have the best day, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.